Economist. From The Economist in London, this is Money Talks, a weekly conversation around themes in business, finance, and economics. I'm Stan Pinal, the banking editor, and joining me this week are Edward McBride, who edits the finance and economics section, and Paul Wallace, our European economics editor. This week, we look once again at Greece, Barclays sacks its chief executive, and China's stock market is floundering. Paul, Let's start with Greece. Uh, Tuesday night was meant to be the final, final deadline where we would find out whether Greece was going to remain in the euro, the denouement after the referendum. But it hasn't actually ended up being the final, final deadline. There seems to be another one now. And that final, final, final deadline is supposedly this Sunday when uh, not just the eurozone countries uh, meet in a summit, but the full complement of the EU meet. And this, we're told, will be the final moment. But of course... In this story, the deadlines keep on being extended. And the one arguably that really, really matters is the one on July 20th, when Greece is due to redeem a bond uh, held by the ECB worth three and a half billion euros. And if it doesn't, then that puts the European Central Bank in an impossible position in continuing to sustain credit being given, in effect, to credit to the banks, given the fact that the, the government will, will have defaulted on that loan. There were extraordinary lines uh, at the Eurogroup summit uh, on Tuesday, uh, people talking about humanitarian aid for Greece, uh, the European Commission saying that it has a detailed plan for Grexit. I mean, whatever allies Greece once had, it, it really seems to have lost. Well, it still has uh, an ally in um, France. We'll always have Paris. Well, maybe or maybe not. But in, in fact, um, under Hollande, they, France se- does seem to be taking quite a, an important role in this. And, and let's not forget that Germany in the past has complained about being alone in, in effect running uh, the Eurozone. It doesn't want to be in that position. So it is quite difficult, it seems to me, for Merkel to just simply stamp her foot and say um, Greece must go when Hollande is against that. And let's not also forget that um, the European Central Bank would undoubtedly prefer Greece to stay in the euro. Uh, Still no signs of contagion, though. Italy, Portugal, Spain, Ireland and the others still able to fund themselves in international markets. Their banks are seemingly doing okay. Yeah, and this obviously is a big difference from the position in 2012 when a Grexit last loomed large. There are a number of reasons for that. I mean, clearly, Greece is much more uh, insulated from the rest of the euro area uh, because, uh, for example, there was the big write-down on privately held Greek government bonds. People have had five years to to reduce their positions in Greece. Uh, and also, the European Central Bank uh, has been pursuing the policy of quantitative easing, so there's a big buyer in these peripheral markets. What about the longer term? If there is an exit from the euro area, then that will irrevocably break the the notion that membership of this uh, currency union is irrevocable. And and that will have a long-term deleterious effect on the monetary union. It will be revealed to be a sort of harder form of a fixed exchange rate system, but nonetheless a fixed exchange rate system. Ed, moving on, uh, Barclays has fired Anthony Jenkins as chief executive. Why? 
Well, I think it's the same reason that every chief executive always gets fired, right? The the shareholders are fed up. Like a lot of banks, it hasn't been especially profitable. It's tried very hard to restructure. I mean, he has presided over three years of of, of fairly elaborate restructuring, um, especially a big move out of investment banking. It was very interesting to examine the statement uh, announcing his sacking. Uh, it was very clear about what was wrong with Barclays, that it hadn't made strategic enough decisions about what businesses to be in and what businesses to abandon, uh, that the uh, there wasn't enough coherence, in effect, about the bank. But it didn't give any clues as to what that what the right shape of Barclays should be. And I guess that that will be the job for the the new chief executive who as yet has, has not been appointed. Can I say something about this? Because it does seem to me puzzling in a way because actually Barclays was um, faster in adopting a strategy to move out of investment banking, it seems to me, than say Deutsche Bank. Yeah, indeed. I mean, how much uh, Barclays has moved out of investment banking is is a bit of a matter of interpretation. Uh, some of it may be more PR than it is fact. It still has a big, thriving uh, in investment bank. Uh, if it to, was to thriving, sure. would there be a problem? When I say thriving, uh, I mean big. Uh, the It is another one of those investment banks which, which cannot cover its cost of equity uh, with the returns on equity. So it is essentially uh, destroying shareholder value year after year. But the argument is perhaps that's a cyclical thing because markets are kind of in the doldrums. All these uh, central banks having zero interest rates means that there's no trading to be done um, and that one day it might come back. That's kind of the Goldman strategy. Uh, so although chief executives are very quick to say publicly that, you know, they're shuttering their investment banks, which are full of people rigging rates and rigging foreign currencies, um, actually, they are aware that they're quite big profit centers when times are good. Edward, uh, back to a subject we've looked at a few times on this podcast, uh, China's stock market. It is now floundering. I believe that's the technical term. The government is trying to bring into place measures to uh, manage that. Uh, How's it doing? Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, first, we had this impossible run-up growth in the Chinese stock market sort of tripled in the space of a year. Uh, then uh, everyone was saying, well, it's it's a huge bubble. It's got to burst. The valuations are absurd. They, they were. Um, the, the stock market started plunging. At first, everyone thought, well, oh, this is good. You know, we knew a correction was needed. But clearly, we've reached a stage now where the authorities are extremely uncomfortable. They have uh, sort of thrown everything but the kitchen sink at the market. They've tried to do restrictions on short selling. They've tried to get the central bank and various uh, state-owned funds to start buying themselves. They've tried to limit IPOs or actually suspend all IPOs uh, in order to to uh, restrict the number of new shares coming to market and, and many other measures besides. And, and what's interesting is um, we tend to think of China as a place where markets are very heavily controlled, where where the government you know only lets things go in directions it's comfortable with. What's really striking about the events of the last few days is, in spite of all these measures, uh, the market has continued to fall. Uh, there's a sense that the, the Chinese authorities don't know what to do. They don't know how to stop it. And of course, that has only intensified the panic amongst uh, investors. Some wag described it as 1929 with Chinese characteristics. Is that too much? Well, I think it's too much in the sense that it's not going to have the same effect on the Chinese economy as the crash of 29 had on on the US economy and the world economy. It's different. The Chinese stock market just isn't nearly so integrated into the financial system because the Chinese authorities do have this tendency to maintain control. There's more of a sort of firewall uh, around it. It represents a relatively 
small share of household wealth, a relatively uh, small share uh, of uh, the financial system. So, so the repercussions of its falling aren't really terribly grim for the economy in the short term or shouldn't be. Uh, it's more that it's just a signal that, that this whole project that the Chinese government has, has been embarking on for several years now of trying to liberalize financial markets to introduce uh, a sense of, of moral hazard that prices can go up and down, uh, to try and, and, and put more of the economy in the hands of the markets. That, that whole project seems to be going off the rails right now. And, and, and the stock market epitomizes the difficulty of what they're trying to do. And, and I think for many people, it, it suggests that uh, uh, financial reform might halt or even go into reverse. Paul, this is a big, big enough deal that it has a, a global impact. It comes on top of another crisis, the Greek crisis, which is still very much live. Uh, is there something policymakers can, can do in terms of monetary policy uh, or anything else to try and stem the flow? Well, you could argue that underlying the stock market decline is possibly a perception that the Chinese economy is slowing faster than um, officials are uh, disclosing. Um, and that would add to concern that overall global growth is going to be more modest than than policymakers uh, had anticipated. And, and I suppose the most obvious way in which that might translate through to policy is with the Fed, with a deferral of uh, an interest rate rise, which some people had expected uh, to happen as early as September, but seems more likely now to be postponed. Paul Wallace, thanks. Edward McBride, thanks to you too for joining us in the studio. That's all we have time for this week. You can read more about uh, these stories and plenty of others on our website at economist.com. In London, this is The Economist. The Economist.